Hello and welcome to our latest installment of the Zoological Society of London's Wild Science podcasts. I'm Moni Boehm, postdoctoral researcher here at ZSL, and because I'm usually confined to my office, researching hard, I have in the past used this podcast to virtually travel to some far-flung places and hopefully taken you with me. Uh, not today, though. Today we are staying here in London to tell you about a conservation success story close to my heart and even closer to my front door. The story of the River Thames estuary. What, I hear you say, the brown muddy Thames declared biologically dead in the 1950s is a conservation success story? Yes, because what looks brown and muddy, and yes, probably contains the odd shopping trolley, is actually again teeming with life, thanks to some impressive concerted conservation action. Now in this podcast we will be celebrating this conservation success and explaining how it came about. And since celebrating alone is no fun, believe me, I tried, I have with me four experts on all things Thames, who will fill us in on their work to restore the important Thames estuary for both wildlife and people, how they're going about it, and how you can get involved. We will hear of unusual safaris and species monitoring James Bond style, and most importantly, learn why estuaries matter. Right, so one of the most significant stakeholders in the state of the Thames, at least from a business perspective, is Thames Water. Richard Aylard is the External Affairs and Sustainability Director for Thames Water. Richard, could you set the scene for us? So in the 1950s, the Thames was declared biologically dead, and now it is supposedly teeming again with life. What has changed? I'd like to go back to the 1850s, if I could, because that's the first time that the Thames was declared biologically dead. And uh, a very large investment was made in sorting out the problem, which at that stage was overflows of raw sewage. That was the the birth of London's sewer system. And the Thames did gradually improve into the uh, 30s, 40s and 50s, but then things started to get worse again, partly because the sewer system was very badly damaged during the war, and partly because new forms of pollution from uh, pesticides and heavy metals started to be to, to be a problem. But since the 50s, there's been further investment, um, and the river has gradually recovered to the point where, uh, partly by regulation, um, and partly by further improvements to the sewer system, and even things like the growth of digital photography had a big impact, because photographic processing particularly amateurs doing their own, uh, uses quite a lot of silver, and, and silver is, is a, a toxic pollutant. So the river's got, got better, and to the point where by the early 2000s, 10, 15 years ago, the last remaining significant source of pollution was the uh, storm overflows from the combined sewer system. This is a legacy of the, the 1850s. It's the way the sewer system was developed, that after heavy rain everything would would discharge into the river and when the system was designed that was only happening three or four times a year but London's population is so much bigger and we've concreted over so much of what used to be green space that those discharges were happening once a week so we've improved all our main sewage treatment works Uh, we've built the Lee Tunnel which captures the discharges from Abbey Mills into the Lee and we're working on the Thames Tideway Tunnel which will deal with the remaining storm overflows but even then looking ahead uh, the big challenge is is just growth just the, the the amount of water that people use the amount of wastewater that they produce and staying ahead of treatment standards to make sure that we don't go backwards this time as we have have in the past is a big challenge 
So what is the importance of the Thames estuary for both business people and wildlife? Well, I think we need to start by looking at the ecosystem services that the Thames estuary provides. So um, it's a very large and complex ecosystem from freshwater at one end to a fully marine environment at the other and a big um, intertidal estuary in between, which is important uh, for commerce. London is still a thriving international port. It's important for recreation. It's important for transport. It's important for, uh, for fisheries. So it's a multifaceted approach to the river that's needed, but it all needs to be done with a proper understanding that it's a tidal estuary. And, and that requires a much better understanding of the, of the underlying ecology as a society, we're taking big decisions about the future of London, which will impact the river, and we need to know that we're doing it on the basis of the best possible scientific information. Thank you very much, Richard. So with me now is Adrian Pinder. Uh, he's based at Bournemouth University and is a fishery scientist with a particular interest in the early development and ecology of juvenile and larval fish. So how are estuaries important, particularly for juvenile and larval fish, and also the fisheries? Globally, estuaries are recognised as providing really important nursery grounds for fish, particularly marine species of commercial importance, um, but becoming more and more recognised for the role they play in supporting the young of freshwater species as well. And of course, in addition to that, they also provide that migratory conduit between freshwater and the marine environment for those species that rely on both environments to complete their life cycles. So to stun our listeners, because many people will be probably familiar with the Thames as being a muddy water. Does the Thames estuary provide all these functions currently? Yes, it certainly does. There are challenges. The estuary has changed a great deal over the last few hundred years. In particular, the, the development of London, which has squeezed the river. So it's only about a quarter of the width now that it was in medieval times. And of course, that changes the hydrology dramatically as well and speeds the river up. So these tiny fish that have poor swimming capabilities when they're very little have quite a lot to cope with. So how do these um, little fish deal with faster currents, tides, pollution, all of these things that are being thrown at them? Well, that's a very good question. And it's one that we're trying to answer as part of the work that we're doing at the moment. One of the ways they deal with it is by using the tides to their own advantage. So even though they're very poor swimmers, they will actually orientate themselves into the flow to move upstream or downstream and then use the margins or the bed of the estuary to try and hold position until the tide's going the right way again and they could take advantage of the flow to move around. So have you found any particular places in the Thames that are particularly good for, for tiny fish? Well, because it moves so fast and it's such a dynamic environment, the fish are always on the move. So the answer to that is no, not really, but there are some areas that do stand out. <clears throat> in particular, the study that's preceded the work that we're doing at the moment by ZSL actually identified the spawning grounds of smelt. So that in itself is a very important find and a very important area of the Thames that needs to be protected to allow these fish to, to spawn. What are the next steps in your research, particularly on these early life histories of fish? What's the next thing that you're trying to find out and how is it maybe applicable to systems elsewhere? Okay, well, with regard to the tidal Thames, Bournemouth University are working with ZSL and SC2 on this project that we're working on at the moment. And what we're really interested in is 
how the shifts in development stage of these tiny fish translate to shifts in behaviour and habitat use. And with that knowledge, we'll be better equipped to feed into environmental impact assessments. And this will also have applications to other large estuaries of Northern Europe as well. So last question, I suppose trying to integrate these conservation success stories with the demands that we humans have in terms of using the river, how can you combine these two? Well, the first thing is we need to understand how the fish are using the estuary because it's so muddy we can't see them. So we need this detailed research programme to understand how they're using the river, the estuary first. And when we have that, we're going to be in a much better position to mitigate for the impacts of um, new anthropogenic builds. And yes, we, without that information, we're poorly equipped at the moment to protect the fish in the river. Still lots to do, but lots of good stuff to talk about. Thank you very much, Adrian. Right, so clearly there is great interest in the state of the Thames from a business perspective, such as Thames Water, with huge infrastructure developments. But what is actually happening on the ground, or in fact in the water, to conserve the lovely muddy waters of the Thames? Joe Pecorelli is project manager here at ZSL and a proper Thames enthusiast. So why do you think the River Thames estuary is so important for us humans and for wildlife? Uh, they are absolutely essential. The estuary is essential as a nursery ground and all those sort of rather selfish reasons. You know, that's where our food essentially grows, the, the, the populations of many populations of fish in the North Sea. But also, more importantly, we are a huge city. Um, we need, I think, for our welfare, as plenty of research shown, we need these areas of wilderness and the Thames is the greatest wilderness that flows through the heart of London and I think there's something very special about the fact that the health of the river over the last 60 years uh, has been improving. I just recently moved very close to the River Thames so I can only concur with it. Oh, so good. I'm absolutely yeah. loving it, it's like being on holiday every single day. <laughs> Fantastic. Very so good. the Thames is pretty long and is also tidal Obviously, the tidal Thames reaches up from the North Sea right to Teddington Lock, I think, yeah. or thereabouts. And then there's the tributaries and so on. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on. How do you go about trying to protect such an interconnected, complicated system? And what are the challenges? It is hugely challenging. And I think our strategy is to view the ecological function. And so one of the main projects that I'm working on is restoring migratory connectivity. And in particular, animals need to move for feeding, for breeding, for various reasons, from the estuary up into the tributaries and vice versa. And so we're doing a lot of work trying to allow them to do that, removing those barriers that get in the way. So it's about, the, it's about restoring the function of a very complicated system. And of course, it is a complicated system, but the opportunities are huge to get work done because we've got 10 million people on the doorstep. So I'm, I'm working on getting them all involved. At the moment, we've had about 1,100 involved. So still a way to go, but yeah. we'll talk about yeah, yeah. how we can up this number a little bit later. So how long have these projects been going for? Well, the Thames project was started in 2005, 2004, 2005. And we really started to scale up our ambitions in terms of inviting citizen scientists, so members of the public, in 2011. And then since then we've developed new projects. So the Outfall Safari, are probably my, our most recent one, started in May last year, May 2016. 
Outfall Safari. Did yes. I hear that right? You did that's hear a that genius right. name. Um, yes. I suppose forget about the big five in Africa. That's not where it's at. No, it's the Outfall Safari, let's is it? Go on Outfall Safari, exactly. And it's I think it's remarkable that essentially what we're asking people to do is go out and spot nasty sewage fungus and signs of pollution. But we've had 65 volunteers on three rivers walking 84 kilometres of waterway with us, assessing over 600 outfalls. So it's been absolutely fantastic. I think the name has helped, and but no one's expressed disappointment at not seeing lions and tigers and bears, just sewage fungus. Excellent. So you are stalking sources of pollution exactly yes thank you for putting the reminding me that this is a this is proper science the problem is is there's misconnection so because we've got this complicated drainage system with foul sewers and surface water we've got connections between the foul to the surface which end up in our rivers so they send pollution to our rivers and unfortunately the only way really to ascertain where these problems are is to is to walk along the riverbank and see the pollution where it's coming out and then we work with the local water company Thames Water to track back and stop this pollution entering the rivers and sadly we've seen about a third of the outfalls that we've assessed are showing signs of pollution so it is a serious environmental problem in London and we're working hard with along with a number of other partners in London to try and deal with it. So citizen scientists, yeah. the people who stalk your pollution or help yeah. you on all the other projects that you're involved in, they're clearly crucial. Um, how do you get people involved and more importantly how are you going to keep them involved in it, the future? That's a good question. We've had 1100 people so through our training program so that's a number of different projects. We don't have any trouble recruiting them. There's, we have run a variety of different citizen science projects, running from sort of uh, surveying invasive species in the Thames um, riverbed, and that's cold and rainy and muddy, but still people enjoy it and come back every year. Monitoring juvenile fish, the outfall safari, uh, river monitoring, eel counting. So there's a range of projects. Uh, to sustain their interest, we try to make sure we always feed back. We always show how their information is being used by statutory agencies. And the Outfall Safari is a good example of that because we, we quite quickly have been having feedback from Thames Water that they're scaling up their efforts to tackle this problem. And that's as a direct result of the intervention of the volunteers. So wonderful feedback for them to spur them on. We also run what we call River Forums here at ZSL. Uh, and that is our opportunity to feed back to them and to get them involved and, uh, and more and show them uh, other projects that they can get involved with. So there have been a lot of conservation success stories coming out over recent years on the River Thames. Now, if you had to pick a poster boy for this success, um, which species do you think best represents it? Um, my personal favourite, I mean, when we're working with the eels, for instance, on a regional level, we have really lovely positive success stories so where we monitor and we catch we get a zero catch it spurs us on we, we get we have the evidence to build eel passes and we quite quickly see zero catches turn to monitoring eels coming through into new areas so we get these localized very positive uh, stories that we can feed back to our volunteers thank you very much so last, but by no means least, um, it's Joe Barker. Now, Joe has been working in ZSL's marine and freshwater conservation team for a number of years now and on a number of different projects. Joe has been described to me as our very own resident 007 with a license to count seals. 
Not my own words, sadly. Yes, seals, you heard that right, and yes, in the Thames estuary. So, Joe, seals in the Thames estuary, those muddy brown waters we all know so well, where are they, and more importantly, how many are there? That's a really good question, Molly. So most people are really surprised to hear that seals are in the Thames. We actually find them all the way through the Greater Thames Estuary, so from the outer estuary in the shores of Essex and Kent, but all the way up to uh, Teddington Lock in the west, so all the way through central London. Um, We have around 700 or so harbour seals in the region, and we find bigger groups of the seals in the outer estuary sandbanks, and then maybe one or two scattered around the inner estuary, but they move all around the region. So how does that compare to other populations around the UK, and what's the significance of the Thames population to the overall UK population? So the the Thames population makes up around 12% of the harbour seal population in the UK, which sounds quite small, but what's interesting is that in recent years we've actually seen harbour seals increase in the Thames, um, the population estimate increase over time, while in other populations, specifically in Scotland, there's been very big declines in harbour seal numbers. So we think that potentially the Thames estuary seal population might be getting increasingly important on that national level. Well, I actually thought that 12% sounded quite high. (laughs) So um, how long has CSL been studying seals in the Thames and uh, when can I come along? (laughs) Um, So we started the Thames Seal Programme in 2012, specifically looking at seals. But prior to that, we were collecting marine mammal sightings of both seals and cetaceans, so the harbour porpoise and dolphins and whales in the region since 2004. Um, We continue collecting that marine mammal sighting survey data throughout the Thames region, but we've been focusing on those harbour seals since 2012. So I know that ZSL has been collecting these data on seal sightings, I had heard about this, but then I was also told that obviously with this latest project you have started to much more proactively monitor the seals, kind of 007 style. So what are you doing? Are you parachuting or something? <laughs> so our, our seal survey work happens uh, every year in August and we do a really cool survey where we cover the entire Greater Thames estuary in a three-day period. To do that, we have to use an aeroplane. So we actually do aerial transects using a fixed-wing aircraft and we count seals from the air and take photos of the colonies to ensure that our counts are accurate back in the uh, office. Cool. And don't worry, all health and safety measures are obviously in place. And also, Joe, I assume you're not flying the plane, so <laughs> that's quite a relief. Yeah, no, look, we've got the luck of a pilot. We're all good. <laughs> Excellent. So what do you think the future holds for the Thames seals? It's a really interesting question. Studying seals at the moment is really interesting because we're actually seeing a massive increase in the grey seal population. So this is the second species on the east coast of England. And what's interesting is that we're seeing these grey seals increase, but we're also seeing the harbour seals doing very well in the region too. So it's likely there could be increased competition between the two species, competition for prey or for space on sandbanks where they haul out and bask in the sun. But there's also been some occurrences of grey seals potating upon harbour seals. And so looking at that dynamic might be a really interesting thing in the future. But it's also important to just try and understand why we're seeing some of these increases, try and understand a bit more about the ecosystem and the impacts of that to our wonderful estuary. 
And I assume there's more aerial surveys to come as well. Yes, so we, we hope to continue our annual population surveys. Having this like year-on-year data set is so important to us to really get that in-detail understanding of what the seals are doing in the region. Um, what do you think is the biggest conservation success story of the Thames Estuary or your favourite conservation success story? I always find it remarkable when completing survey work in the Thames of just the sheer number of species that we find in it. For example, for fish species, there's over 125 different fish species which are found in the Thames estuary. And if you just think that only 60 or so years ago the Thames was declared biologically dead, that recovery is quite remarkable. We did a project last year on uh, the European smelt, which has a particular uh, soft spice in my heart. Um, and this species is really vulnerable to poor water quality. So the fact that we get that one back in the Thames is a really good sign of improving water quality there. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Joe. And so there you have it. The Thames estuary, a conservation success story right on our doorstep which is even more special because the biological value of estuaries is often overlooked, given that estuaries are neither truly freshwater nor truly marine and are often quite difficult to study. Now, the other reason why this is quite special is because, given that they're important settlements for humans, estuaries often become biologically impoverished as a result. So the great news here really is that we can turn this around, especially when we get communities engaged with a conservation effort. And since today we were not talking about far-flung places, this is your chance to get involved in something really worthwhile to wildlife and Londoners alike. So if you would like to get involved in conserving the River Thames, then you can do so by visiting our ZSL website, Google Citizen Science, London's Rivers and ZSL, and you should get straight to the application form, which is very easy. In fact, while talking to you here on the microphone, I have already filled in mine. So hopefully I will see you at one of London's rivers very soon, or if not, you can hear me again on the next ZSL Wild Science podcast. Mm-hmm.